Thank you for tuning in to the Diary of an Addict podcast. Today I have a very good friend of mine, Buster Biddix, on to share his story with us. I met him a long time ago, I'm sure, as a kid, but we uh, we reconnected when we were both, you know, in active addiction, selling drugs, doing whatever, just to maintain, you know, how it is. But uh, thank you for coming on here, Buster. I appreciate it. Yeah, anytime, man. Um, so let's get right into it, man. Uh, for, uh, let's let the listeners know who you are. Uh, what's your name? Where you're from? Uh, did you grow up with both parents or one parent or a grandma? Um, did you see drug or alcohol use, uh, coming up? What was your childhood like? Uh, I'm Buster Biddix. I'm from Cherokee, North Carolina, the same place as Jack's from. And growing up, uh, it's kind of rough for me, you know. My grandma and grandpa raised me. My mom was a part-time mom, and I never had never had a father, so I never had a father figure really. Man, that uh, that sounds a lot like my story. My mom was there, but I had a lot of siblings, you know, so I spent a lot of time with my grandma and grandpa's, and then I didn't know my father till I was older. Um, so growing up, how was how was life with your grandma and grandpa? Was it just you there, or did you have did they have other kids that they had to take care of also? Yeah, I had my uh, my brother and Jeffrey and my sister Callie and Tabby. We all three got raised by our uh, grandma and grandpa. But when they got, we was in and out of foster homes at a young age. So my grandma and grandpa didn't really know how to take care of us, but they tried. Yeah. Um, were they older? How old were they when y'all, were they? Uh, I don't remember how old uh, they was, but they was older. And, you know, they, they've been taking care of most of my family all their lives. You know what I'm saying? It was always grandma and grandpa taking care of everybody. And we just fell right in place when we started growing up. Yeah. I know how that is, man. That's a, that's a more common theme than not on a res, you know, is that. The grandma and grandpa, they, they raise their kids. And then a lot of times they end up having to raise the kids as kids, you know, and then I've even seen some where they got a great grandchild they're taking care of, you know, it's like they, yeah. it's like they enter parent mode and they never get to stop. Yeah. So where was you in and out of foster homes? Did you, was that uh, around Cherokee or I was think, that in other places? I think in, uh, we started off in like, Asheboro, North Carolina, because my mom was living down there when we was young. She was down there, you know, a single mother trying to find love. So, you know, she was more into trying to find somebody to love her than she was her own kids at the time. But, we, you know, I understand now because I'm grown, but she just won't love like everybody else wants. And they ended up taking, I don't know how, why they took us from her, but we was taken from her and put in a foster home. And we went from there to somewhere in Swain County for a little bit. Went from there to another place. We was like three or four different places we went to growing up. And, you know, finally, my grandma stepped in and got custody of us. So we got out of that system. Did they did they keep you all together the whole time, or did they split you all up? Yeah, they kept us together. Well, that's good, man. I mean, it ain't good that you all were in the foster system, because I don't yeah. think that's good for anybody. But 
it's cool that they kept you all together because I know a lot of times, especially nowadays, they act like it's too big of a hassle. And I understand. I mean, I know there's yeah. a lot of kids in the system, but now they act like it's impossible to keep kids together, you know, even just two of yeah. them. So for the fact that them be able to keep all four of you together, man, that's, uh, yeah. that's, that's then, a blessing. Yeah, and the other thing about it was, you know, how most foster parents are, they treat the kids bad. We was also treated bad by them. When you uh, when you were in the foster homes, did was there other foster kids too, or was it just you and your siblings? Just just us. Yeah, I know a lot of people not not just with the foster system, but a lot of people in general. You know, they they do things not because their hearts in it, but just for the paycheck. You know, and then that leads to you know not not the best performance of what they're trying to do. Um, yeah, I have one more observation too, man. It's a uh, it's good to hear you hear the growth, you know what I mean? When I say that, I'm saying because as kids, as a kid, even today as a grown-ass man, you know, like my mom is still like my my person, you know, like it. when I was younger, it took me up until a couple of years ago to realize that even though she's mom to me, she's still Angela, you know, and that's that she's a person and that she has struggles in her own life you know that she has issues that she has to deal with herself and as a kid to a parent you know you think that they can do no wrong so for you to be able to say that you understand why she was looking to be loved you know that that i feel like that's that speaks to the growth that you've uh yeah accumulated on your journey um did you ever see drugs or alcohol while using a foster system like from the foster parents oh no but uh, whenever I was around my mother and that side of the family, that's all you ever seen was alcohol. They was real bad alcoholics. Yeah. I had a few uncles. I had a few uncles that passed away from alcoholism, thrust to the liver, and you know it was a big thing in our family. And that's that's what I've seen at a young age. Watch my mom and them do it, and then me sneaking and doing it behind her back because some of her friends would allow it to happen. Yeah. I've uh, I've been there before, man. You got you got older, and it's usually usually a dude. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Older guys, they're like, you know, just put some hair on your chest, or this will make you a man. You know, and like, yeah. Growing up, you see an adult do that. You mean you wanna you don't wanna follow their lead, but you think that they know what they're talking about just because they're an adult and you're a kid because that's what you're taught. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and where I never had a where I never had a father. You know, I was always looking up to these other dudes, and even though they was doing wrong, I always thought that was the right thing. Be like, dang, I want to be just like him when I grow up. You know, I was looking for that father figure, but couldn't ever find it. Yeah, and especially in those situations, you know, like the person you normally looked up to in those kind of situations was usually the worst one out of the bunch because you wanted to look up to the one that all the rest of them thought was cool. You know what I mean? And a lot of times that was the one that was drinking the most or providing the alcohol and or weed or whatever, you know, so. Yeah. That sets the precedent right there. Uh, you said you started sneaking alcohol. How Do you remember how old you were when that started? About nine or ten. Well, actually, the first time I ever tasted alcohol, I was like eight years old. Me and my brother, we used to go down to my uh, my great uncle's house all the time. They always, we used to go down and like, watch them and laugh at them and stuff like that 
we go down and play all the time. And one day, one of our uncles was like, come here. So me and my brother go over there. And he's like, here, I'm going to let y'all see what it's like to be a man. And he gave us he gave us both a King Cobra 40. And I don't know how much we drunk of it, but last thing I remember is them dropping me off at the bottom of the road at my grandma's because they were scared to take me up there because we was drunk and they knew my grandma would get onto them. Yeah, is that the that's the bottom right? That's the road. That's the house I lived at. You with huh? your grandma's house? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's that was where everything happened at. Bro, that was rough. A King Cobra at eight years old. I ain't gonna yeah. lie to you. I I haven't drank in about two years. I don't drink anymore because it's not good for me. But man, I couldn't even imagine drinking a King Cobra forty at thirty years old, let alone eight. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, like this role model that I was looking up to when I was young, his name was uh, John Armachain, and rest his soul he's in heaven. Uh, he got shot right right around the time whenever we started drinking when I was young. He would sneak us shots of Seagram Seven. That's my favorite. Used to be my favorite liquor, but Seagram Seven. He would sneak us shots of that, and we'd be there drinking it like at ten years old. And just happened one day they was drinking every day, and him and his brother went to the food line in Swain County to get some beer. I thought they were going to buy it, but they went up there trying to steal it and ended up running from the cops. And like a week later, they ended up missing and they found him. He was dead. I guess somebody shot him in the back. Dang. That's crazy how that affects you. That, that, uh, hey, you know, that figure at the time. He was, they wasn't like, a, he was sort of like, but you know, we always hung around him and you know, the guy used to be into that, that gang banging shit. And you know, he, he was, Representing himself as a blood, and you know, I always when growing up, I want to be a blood when I grow up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, that, and that's a big thing we we into growing up was being gang members. Did you? Uh, so we're sneaking alcohol, then then it becomes to where we're not even sneaking anymore in the sense of having yeah. to steal it because we got older people giving it to us. Uh, did you, did you was it just drinking? Did it stay out drinking for a while, or did did you did they smoke yeah. weed with you or anything? Well, we was drinking for a while, and uh, one day we was uh, me and my best friend at the time was sneaking around in my mom's room trying to find something, and he ended up finding some weed. And I was like, he, you know, he knew kind of what it was. He'd seen it before, but I didn't. I was like, what's that? He's like, oh, that's that's weed. Let's go try it. And I was like, growing up, I was all for it, and. We went and tried that weed, and ever since, you know, we we started smoking weed all the time. He uh, his stepdad was selling it at the time, and he would go steal bags of weed from him. We'd get high. That's crazy, man. That kind of sound. It's it's not crazy. It's crazy <laughs> to think about now. You know what I mean? Like kids yeah. drinking and smoking weed, but man, that seems like a lot of these people that are out that share their story with me you know it, it's almost the same like yeah it's crazy because we're all different we all grew up differently some of us knew each other as kids but a lot of us didn't meet each other till we were adults you know but all our yeah. stories seem similar so yeah um and believe it or not i got my first tattoo when i was 11 years old my mom gave it to me she gave, she you gave a me a no, she gave me with a homemade gun. She gave me a B on my left hand. <laughs> that's my first tattoo. Ever since I got that first one, I was 11, 10, 11 years old. I was ready to go. I was ready to get more. And now I got them. <laughs> yeah, I got no more room now. 
Yeah, about to run out. So, uh, during all this, was you still? Uh, how was how was school for you? Was you was you doing good in school, or was you getting in trouble at school, or how? Well, was that? I was getting in a little trouble at school. I was kind of one of the trouble kids, but uh, you know, I, my favorite thing in the world was football. You know, I lived lived for football, and growing up. Everybody always told me I was a good football player and I was real good at it. And but I had trouble in school. So, you know, I, I had to get help with school and stuff because at home I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. I was like staying out late, hanging out with friends, not coming home, missing school, being late for school, uh, acting up at school. Hey. So uh, I also was good at football, man. I love football too, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was, bro. I was angry all the time, man. Uh, I was angry that I seen all these other kids with their dad at football practice, and my mom, she would come and like she wouldn't be able to stay though because she had to work. And you know, I don't know how it was when you played as a kid, but yeah. all the other all the other players on the team, their dad would be, they would stay there till the end of practice and stuff, you know. Man, I was just so mad about that. I don't know why. Man, I, that was a that was my outlet. In football, mm-hmm. they they if I hit somebody any other place but football, I hit somebody as hard as I could, I'd be in trouble. But man, yeah. you on that football field and you lay somebody out, everybody cheers for you. You know what I mean? I kind of yeah. Fell in love with that. <laughs> yeah. So do you remember? remember go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I can remember one time whenever I, you know, I used to play football and. I was really thought I was good at it. I remember just oh, I got kicked off football team because, you know, I had to stay in – well, actually, let me tell you this. I had to move in with these people that I barely knew to play football because they said I was living in an unfit home. So I moved in with these two – this couple, and, you know, they took care of me for a little bit. And that's the only way I could play football is if I lived with them. So I lived with them, and then I stayed there for two years. And my junior year was getting ready to start. And my sophomore year, they had a prom. And, you know, it was me, Chris Kirkland, Big John, my Tornado, Ryan uh, Sequoia. You know, that was a group I was going to school with. And we uh, they had a, a party after the prom. It was the football team, you know, they can party and get together and drink. And they told me to be home at 12 o'clock that night. And I decided to stay with the football team. So... I stayed out partying and went home early in the morning. When I got there, they told me I need to pack my stuff and leave. So I packed all my stuff and left and went back to my grandma's. So when I went to school the following year, for some reason, they told me that I couldn't play football because I was living in an unfit home. And after that, it was just downhill from there. You know, I started getting in trouble again, doing drugs, drinking, all that stuff. Uh, so football was kind of keeping you out of trouble. That's crazy that they punished you for something that you couldn't control. You know what I mean? Yeah. It ain't like you could just be like, oh, I got an unfit home. Let me go put down a security deposit and get my own place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a big reason. One of the big reasons why I took the road I took, you know, because I believe I'd have done so myself if I'd have been able to stay in school. Yeah. Um, so... We started spiraling down here. You said you started getting high and doing that stuff. Did you? Hey, did yeah, you hanging start, out with, huh? I was getting ready to ask you if you did. You start experimenting with drugs that wasn't weed at that time. Yeah, I, I was. 
it was, I was around about 16 when it, all this started happening. And, you know, I got kicked out of school or actually they told me I couldn't play football. So I gave up on, I was going to practices and staying on sidelines doing all that stuff you're supposed to do. And yet they still wouldn't let me play. So then I finally told myself, man, forget this. I don't get to play football. I'm done. You know, my life's through. So I started bringing alcohol and I got into pills. So I started bringing pills and stuff to school. And one day I got so messed up at school that they seen me going from one class to another class messed up. And they called me to the office and they caught me with pills and they uh, suspended me. I went to court and got probation for it at like 15, 16. And that's when I started hanging out with these older folks. And one day, the dude that was my best friend at the time, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know no better, but he said, man, one day he's like, man, I'm going to go to Asheville. I'm going to go over and get some cracks. I'm going to bring some back. You want to try it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll try it. I don't care. You know what I'm saying? You already do when you're a kid. So my, my friend went and got some crack cocaine, brought it back. And I took a hit of that and it was on to the races. Shit, ring your bell or what? He rang my bell and got me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I know that feeling, bro. And, uh, <clears throat> that's the that's the ironic nature of crack, and well, any drug for that matter, but especially crack. Like that first hit, man. The first hit I ever took a crack is it rung my bell, and I, bro, I felt like I was floating. It like, felt like I was looking yeah. down on myself. You know what I mean? And then. Bro, I fell in love with that feeling, and I, I chased yeah. that feeling for a while, and I could never get it again. And that's the crazy nature about crack. Um, so, yeah. I'm going to tell you, the first, the first time, believe it or not, I ever took a hit of crack, I was 11 years old. Man. And and the, the way we used to get it, it was kind of crazy, but, you know, we was thinking addictive then at that age. But my friend would get his mom to take us to Asheville Mall like we're going to buy some clothes and stuff. So we'd go in there and buy some clothes and stuff while his sister and mom shopping, because, you know, a female, they're going to shop. You know what I'm saying? They're going to be there for hours. So while they're in there shopping, we'd sneak to the car, get in the car, and drive to the projects and get cracked, and then go back and park the car and go back in like nothing ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy to think about, I mean, uh, some of the stuff that, that you could get away with when we were growing up because cell phones didn't come out till I was in like middle school, you know, and they didn't have the freaking location services like they do now. Yeah. You know, like if you would, if you would have did that now, you know, your, your parents or your mom or who's ever car you took, they would have seen that you left them on exactly where you went to. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Yeah. So we started smoking crack at 16. Did it, uh, how long was this journey, this wrong path you took? How did that go? Did you did you start yeah. doing other drugs, or did you do crack for a while? Or I actually done crack. Yeah, but most of the time I done crack. See, that's the, you know what I'm saying. That was like the drug that got me. It pulled me in. You know, there wasn't no other drug in the world that made me feel like crack made me feel at the time. And you know, I would the way I started my career, uh, criminal career was you know I was six that's I was sixteen. Whenever I can smoke, start smoking crack and start doing all this other stuff. Well, when I was 16, you know, I couldn't afford to pay for crack. So the only way I could figure I can get crack was if I go and rob all these stores and steal all this shit from people. But 
I got into stealing and breaking in stores, and it, it didn't phase me none. I'd get caught for one, go do a little bit of time, get back out and do it again, over and over, just for crack. How, uh, how long did that last? Did you Was your stance getting longer and longer as the, as the time yeah. you had to get? Yeah. Believe it or not, it's, I'm not proud of it. I've been to prison five times, all due to mostly crack. If you had to add up... Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I'll, you go ahead. I was going to ask you, if you had to add up all the time that you spent locked up in your life, how long do you think that is? Well, I've, you know, I've, people have added their stuff up over and over. I've added mine up plenty of times, and, you know, I'm 38 years old, and I pulled over 15 and a half years of my life in and out of jail and prison. Man, that's crazy, bro. Uh, I know. I, I I can't even relate to that. I've been locked up a while, but, you know, this last time, uh, the COVID shit, bro, I just I just got tired of that, man. Like, the highs that yeah. I felt on the streets where, you know, I'd get out or whatever, and then I'd start selling drugs and get all these cars and all this shit, but then I'd lose it again, like, everything. When I say, even the stuff I had put up that I, I know you know exactly how I feel, because I remember one time I had to, uh, I didn't have to, but you were locked up, remember, and I went to your house to see if your shit was still there. Yeah. And it was all gone. And I, yeah. I know that feeling all too well, bro. Like, it could take you three months to build up all this shit, this material possessions, cars, all the shit that people bring you and trade you. And then say you got arrested at 9 a.m. today. By 9.30, bro, all your shit would be gone. You know what I mean? If not earlier. Yeah. Yeah, don't. That shit's happened plenty of times. <laughs> and it'd be the motherfuckers that you would never, that you think would watch your shit with their, with, with everything, every fiber they're being, that'd be the ones taking it and selling it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's, uh, I got tired of that grimy world. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And all that stuff, you know, I'm going through some trouble right now with the court system, but I ain't told nobody. But right now, I'm, uh, facing the habitual charge for uh, the state of North Carolina. And it's the uh, the time frame for it is like 10 to 12 years. And I got indicted on habitual felons since I've been in rehab. Mm, that's uh, That can be discouraging. I'm glad that you're still on the right path. I know. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, I, go ahead. I've come too far to, you know what I'm saying, take a step back. I'm not stepping back no more, you know. I finally found myself, and, you know, I'm kind of liking it. And, you know, at first, I went to rehab in North Carolina. It was a two-year program. You know, I was just trying to get out of jail. So I went for a two-year program. And I, before I even got there, I told myself, no, I'm not going to stay here. First chance I get, I'm leaving. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I got there, and they put me on a, on a job the second day I was there. Within five days there, I didn't have my plan. I hit the doors on them. So then they got me for escape from there, and they let me come to a rehab here in Memphis, Tennessee, for a year-long program. And since I've been here, I've been facing a, a escape charge for North Carolina, for Cherokee anyways, and I'm going back to court for that. And I'm supposed to be getting 12 months probation after this for that. 
But, you know, I was, I was running from recovery for a long time. You know, I didn't want it, you know. Recovery to me was, you know, I don't know what it was, but it was just like, it wasn't for me, like, it would, it would degrade me to be, to be in recovery because everybody knows me as this hardcore druggy drug dealer, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I just didn't want, I just didn't want people to look at me different for some reason. Yeah, uh, you can almost, the identity you create for yourself, you almost, you, uh, it almost consumes you. You know what I mean? There for a while. What made it hard for me to stay in or around Cherokee was not only did I feel that way about myself, but everyone else did too, as far as like selling drugs. It seemed like even when I was doing good or trying to do good, they were just waiting on me to slip up again, you know, and then the few times I did, bro, like, I'm talking about it. it was quick, bro. I'd be working, doing everything I was supposed to do, going to meetings, and then one day I'd be like, fuck this shit. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I could say fuck this shit at 3 p.m., and by 8 p.m. that night, I'm selling drugs to everybody like I never stopped. Yeah. So I know what you mean when you say about the the identity part. Uh, also, for me, what I ran from, I think, in recovery the most was hard work. Uh takes a lot of work to to rebuild the shit that you fuck up or for me and when i say when i say that i'm speaking about myself i don't want you to think yeah yeah bro it's hard to to pick up those pieces to to rebuild those relationships with family with friends uh and it for me it was easy to be a drug dealer everybody knew me as that bro you you seen it i wouldn't even leave my i wouldn't even leave not only would I not leave the house, sometimes I wouldn't even get up off my motherfucking bed. I'd just sit there all day and just have people come to me, come to me, come to me. Oh, we're hungry. Hey, so-and-so, bring us some food along with that $20 you're trying to spend. You know what I'm saying? Like, So it was yeah. easier. It was always easier for me to do this, to do that. But yeah. man, it can, as easy as it comes, it went even easier, you know? Yeah. I think one of my biggest fears and it still haunts me right now is asking somebody for help. I believe that's one of the reasons I ain't got help sooner than I did. You know, I don't like asking nobody for nothing. I feel like if if I want I gotta get it myself. Yeah. That pride, man. Another yeah, thing pride. not only not only pride, but I don't know how it is for you, but growing up for me, like I I was poor growing up, you know, and that's no insult to my mom. She did everything she could but yeah. A lot of times I would ask for stuff and it wasn't that she didn't want to give it to me. It was that we couldn't afford it, you know? So yeah. I'd be like, Hey mom, they got some new Jordans out or Hey mom, I need some new basketball shoes or whatever. And she would say, you know, we'll have to wait or not right now, or we'll see, you know, and that, that kind of led to me, you know, it, it sucks to ask somebody for something, even as a kid, even, even though you yeah. know the reason why it can't happen, it still sucks. If I was like, hey, Buster, can you help me out with this? And you tell me no, bro, that hurts. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I might really need you. So that kind of that kind of led me to, you know, I, it was the fear of hearing no, you know, the fear of being rejected, you know, uh, yeah. asking for help on top of yeah. having to put my pride to the side. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I would be like, why would I put my pride to the side just to ask for help and then not be able to do it, you know? But nine times out of ten, if you're sincerely asking for help, you know, people people, people will help you, you know? Yeah. It may not be the way you expect, but... So you went yeah. to... Uh, 
you went to Con too, right? Yeah, I, mean, I went there. Uh, oh, you went for before. a day. My, my uh, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to tell you about that. Uh, so I went to Charles and Cherokee Jail. I got sentenced to a year. You know, just like any time, I'm trying to figure any way to get out. So I get accepted to go to Conway T and uh, Snowbird. And uh, before I get there, you know, I had I had some drugs on me. And uh, I had them hid, and somehow I got them to Conway T with me. But I didn't tell nobody that I had them, but a couple of dudes I was talking to in jail knew I had them. So I get up there, and before I was there, I, was, I got a tour of it. I was there like five hours. Got to see where everything was at, where we stayed at, where we eat, do all that. And then we was playing cornhole. We just got through eating, and we started playing cornhole. And somebody called me to one of them officers. I oh, God. Like, you got drugs on you? I was like, no, I ain't got no drugs on me. So they kicked me out of Conway T for having drugs that they never seen. But I got kicked out for it. And I wasn't even there five hours, first time in rehab. That's crazy, bro. I, I remember that. I was, uh, I think you left my cell to go to rehab, remember? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I was right back. <laughs> we was at Lights Out watching the end of a football game. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't funny, bro. I'm glad we were able to laugh about it, but. Yeah. So, so what? Well, I'll ask that to ask this, because you said you went to, you went to con for that little, I don't even, I wouldn't even count that, actually. I'm not going to count that, but you say you went to the two-year program and you took off on them on five days, and yeah. now you're, are you at Synergy right now? No, I'm not at Synergy. I, uh, I went to a year-long program here, and I graduated. Now I'm in the halfway house. Congratulations, uh, bro, on that. I want to yeah. say that. Uh, it's hard to complete, uh, especially for me. For me, I, I I tend to start things and not finish them. You know, when it gets too hard, or you know, I used to. Let me rephrase. I used to. I I used to let a hard day or something bad happening, like say say I was you and you got the indictment. You know, I'd let that lead me to go back and do some dumb shit. You know, so yeah. I'm proud of you for staying the course. Um, yeah. What's making it different this time than any time before? You know, I, you know, people say you have to want it. I mean, I do want it, but to be honest, my little girl, whenever uh, my baby mom was pregnant with my little girl, you know, I didn't really care much. But once she brought that baby into this world, you know, it changed my whole life. Even though I've not been around that baby, it's changed my life. You know, it ain't about me no more. It's about her. You know, I'm not going to let her grow up and go through what I went through. So the only way to do that is, you know, Stop it now. That's what's up, bro. That's that's uh that's that's one of the foundational factors in my recovery also is trying to be the dad that I never had, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, you know, I want I never had a father, so you know, I don't want my little girl to be like that. Yes, sir. Uh, that's what's up, man. And I was telling somebody a while back when I was in rehab about it and they was like, Well, right now you're on the same track. So you need to get yourself together and get out there and take care of little girl because right now you're doing her like your father done you. You're not being there for her. And you know that, that opened my eyes up a little bit too. Damn, they cut deep with that one, huh? Yeah, you know, they, they give it to you hard. See, this rehab I went to in Tennessee, it's the second hardest rehab in Tennessee to complete. Out of all the rehabs, it's the second hardest, and I completed it somehow. 
<laughs> That's good, man. That that should show you once once uh I've been doing things like I was telling you earlier. I've been doing CrossFit. Uh, I work with some country folks down here in Florida. They're awesome people, but they like to go hog hunting. And they we sometimes catch alligators. You know what I mean? And at first, you know, whenever you're Whenever you're presented with something that's hard like that, like like doing something that you you might not you honestly don't know if you can do, you know, and then you do it, man, that builds confidence. So the yeah. next thing you're tackling can be a little bit harder than that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Completing this probation, being the dad that you never had, being 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 an awesome dad to your little girl. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. That's awesome, bro. I like to hear that. Uh, what do you think is, is that, was that your main, one of your main reasons is, is your little girl, is there any other thing that helps keep you on the right track? Do you, uh, do you go to meetings still or? I know yeah, I go to, to yeah, it's, it's mandatory we go to meetings, uh, at this halfway house. But yeah, I go about two or three a week, but you know, I'm the type of person I don't like talking, so I, I just sit back and listen. But yeah. yes, I mean, it's helped me a lot. But really, the main thing that's helped me is my little girl. There's just no other, I couldn't say nothing else that could help me besides her. She's my motivation. That's good, bro. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, the reason I ask that is because we have listeners, you know, that, that may still be struggling. And yeah, the reason I do this, I did this in the first place is to, you know, let people share their stories. Just because, you know, a lot of times for myself, I'd be like, man, ain't nobody out there doing as bad as I am right now. Even though if I wasn't doing bad as far as, like, struggling, like, I had money, I had drugs, I kept myself high, but, like, I felt like I was doing bad because I was poisoning my own people, you know what I mean? And yeah. I felt like I was stuck. I Sometimes I feel like, man... uh, I'm stuck like this. This is my life, and I might as well make the most of it because nothing's gonna change. So that's why I, that's why I wanted to do this to sh- to try to break that stigma of addiction to show people that no matter how bad you are, how, how you know how many times you've been locked up, how many times you've uh, fell down and stood back up, it's never too late. You can always change your life around. Um, yeah. So let me ask you this: if if you could go back in time and talk to Buster in the height of his active addiction at your lowest point, what would you say? What would I say? Let me see. I'm not really sure. I'd probably tell myself uh, to be the man that my grandma always wanted me to be. I need to get myself together and be the man that my grandma always wanted me to be. That's it, man. Uh, I know she because probably really, to be honest, yeah. To, to be honest with you, you know, even though I've been through a hell of a life, you know, ups and downs, I wouldn't think I wouldn't change nothing about my past because you know, like we all know, our past is what made us who we are. And you know, I wouldn't change nothing because I wouldn't know the things that I know now if I did. Yeah. Hey, that's that's another moment, bro. I I, I like to hear that because. I know a lot of people, uh, I hear the cliche, everything happens for a reason, get thrown around all the time, you know. And Man, it's easy yeah. to say that. It's easy to say that when shit's going good, you know what I mean? Everything's yeah. going good, you ain't got no troubles, it's smooth sailing. 
it's a lot it's a lot easier to say everything happens for a reason about something good than something bad. So for you to be able to say that everything you went through made you the man you are today, man, that, that shows me that your your the growth that you've produced in yourself is man, that's that's monumental, bro. I'm I'm proud of you for that. That's uh Thank you. I know a lot of people get stuck, you know, because bad shit does happen to people. Um I'm not gonna say that's that's not the case, but in your healing journey, you have to take responsibility for the role that you played in your own trauma and your troubles. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you say that everything happened for a reason and it made you who you are today and that you wouldn't change it, bro, that, um, that makes me happy. I mean, that, that shows me that you're on a, a very good path. Um, and I just want to see all my people win. I want to see all the Cherokees win. I want to see, especially the people I ran around with. You know what I mean? I know where yeah. you've been. I know where you came from. You know what I'm saying? I know I was right there with you. You know what I mean? So to see where you're at now versus where you were, I mean, that's that's awesome, bro. It makes me happy to see. Um, so sometimes we got listeners also who are still struggling, you know. Uh, yeah. Do you have any advice for those people, or would it be the same thing that you told yourself? Really, you know, Somewhat what I say is, you know, we're all going to struggle. It's whether, it's not how many times we fall, but how many times we get up. You know, I've, I've failed and failed and failed and failed. I've, you know, I've been on the bottom most of my life, always looking up for nobody to be there. And, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I've been through a lot, been in and out of jail pretty long my life, you know, and, it's not been all gravy for me. It's still not gravy for me right now. But just keep getting up is all I can say. Keep getting up. And if you, if anybody's near me and they need help, I'll help them. Yes, sir. I like that. Me too, man. Even though I don't, I may not be able to help financially. I might not be able to be exactly what you need me to be, but I know that I can always, you know, I may not even have the right words to say because sometimes I feel like people don't need you to say anything. They just need to say what they need to say to somebody and that person not get offended. You know what I mean? So yeah, always welcome to be that too. Um, there's some listeners, Buster, they, they don't even struggle with addiction, but they might have a kid. They might have a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister, or we even have kids who watch their parents struggle with addiction. Um, do you have any advice for those people? Yeah, because, you know, I, I'm right now I'm in a situation, you know, I got a lot of us do. Most of my family's addict drugs and alcohol. They're still in addictive use. So uh, really just, you know, don't give up on them. You know, just keep trying, even if, if they're not ready for it. Don't force it on them. Just keep being there for them. It, man, I, I like that. Uh, it's hard sometimes, and I want to say that I know it almost takes you having to be an addict to understand that everything that these people say to you, it's not them. It's not them talking to you saying, I hate you, uh, get the fuck away from me. It's, it's the drugs. It's the mind on drugs. It's the mind on alcohol. It's the alcohol. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I was reading a book the other day 
and it said that when you're dealing with people that you know you might not necessarily want to be around, you got to use this thing called the just like me method. And what that yeah. is is that person right there has dreams and goals and aspirations just like me. That person right there, they got family that they love, they got friends that they care about, and they might have children who love them just like me. And yeah. That person wants to be loved, respected, and appreciated just like me. So I think that when we use the just like me method, it kind of bridges that gap between us, you know, because we all, like you said, we're all connected. We're all on the same journey. We might not be going to the same place, but we're going in the same direction. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say, man? Uh, I just, if you, you're doing a pretty good job, I'm, I don't want to hinder you in no reason. I appreciate you coming on here to tell your story, but yeah. is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners out there as far, as far as uh, recovery goes? Just keep sticking and staying. Keep trying. Don't give up. Because we all, eventually we're all going to defeat this. Yes, sir. Together, man. Uh, yeah. I like, I like how, uh, how it used to be, you know, selling drugs, getting high was, was the thing to do. You know what I mean? Like, that's what people yeah. did. Now I feel like getting your shit together, you know, getting sober and getting your shit together is the cool thing to do. And I, I want to shout out to people I've seen do that before yeah. me and the people like us who's continuing that tradition you know making yeah let's make sobriety cool you know what i mean yeah and whenever you you know sober up and that's when you really realize who your real friends are you know because most of the friends that you did have is all the ones that used you because you can get what you got for them and they wasn't yeah. there to help you when you fail and get up yeah, everybody want to be your friend from the streets when you're the dope man, but when yeah. you're the dope man behind bars, you really see you can't even get a pack of noodles from nobody. <laughs> hey, you can't get nobody to answer your uh, prepaid call. You're paying for the call. They still don't answer. <laughs> for real, right? <laughs> that's crazy, but that's that's another thing that helps me keep me on the right path, you know what I mean, is that the people and circle of friends I have around me now, I know that they, they'll have my back regardless. You know what I mean? And shit, just know yeah. that for you too, bro. We might not have always seen eye to eye because we was both high as shit. And there for a little while, yeah. we went from selling together to like competing against one another. You know what I mean? But I know that yeah. if I ever needed you, bro, you had my back. You gave me phone calls. You gave me food. You fuck gave me a place to live one time. I remember that. I remember one time I fucking overslept for court and, Shit, you went up there with me, not knowing what would happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I Trying appreciate to show you. Show my loyalty, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, we got arrested that same day, I think, after all that shit happened. Yeah. <laughs> so, man, I'm I'm proud of you, bro. Just know that I always got your back, man. I, 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 let me ask you one more thing. Because um, a lot of people, you know, myself included, I don't know how it was for you. I don't know. When you do graduate there, are you going to go back to Cherokee or are you going to keep staying over there? Uh, I'm graduate. I've been graduated. I'm just, I'm in the halfway house just here now. I'm, okay. I'm, uh, I'm court ordered to stay here until May. And that's when my sentence is up. And then I got 12 months probation for Cherokee, but I'm not sure what's going to happen with my uh, state charges. But yeah. so far I'm coming, coming back home to be close to my little girl. All right. 
I was just asking that because I know for me and a couple of other people I've interviewed, getting away helped them. You know, it, it helped them. It made it possible for them to turn their life around. But everybody always wants to do the same thing. I do, too. I want to go back and help the people I hurt the most. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. When I say that, I say I mean like the people who I might not necessarily like have given them their first hit or whatever it was, but I certainly didn't help stop their addiction by feeding them the drugs I did. You know what I mean? Not feeding yeah. them, but providing, <laughs> I guess I should say. No, you might as well say feeding. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to make a difference. I feel like if I... If I led that many people astray, I can lead that many people this way now. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's true. That's what I was always told, too, that, you know, I can help a lot of people out. And, you know, I like helping people as much as I can. I'll give them shirt off my back if I had to. Yes, sir. Same, man. Um, you remember that thing you tried to start in jail? Yeah, that little, little group. Yeah, I remember that. I still think about it all the time. Maybe you should start it now. It could be like a like a it could be like a virtual thing, you know what I mean? Where we just call each other, we check in, like do a Zoom meeting, so everybody can do it from their phone, and we can all check in, see what we're doing. Uh, yeah. But I just I be thinking out loud all the time. Yeah. I have some see, ideas uh, popping yeah. in my mind. <laughs> and see the see the thing about me, getting back to what you're talking about, you know I've all you know we all struggle, and that's that's a big thing that hit me. That's one the reason why I got that group going in jail was because we're a group of struggling people coming together to help each other overcome our struggles because we can't do it alone. No matter how much we try or say we can, we can't do it alone. We all need somebody. Yes, sir. And, and that's, that's the main reason why I started it. It went on for a little while and I got out of jail and went back, back, back to the same thing. Yeah, that happens to us, man, but we can't, we can't let that keep us down, you know what I mean? Just like you were saying, yeah. you fall down and you get back up. Yeah, I actually, right after you got out when I was there, it's past time before I went to rehab. I, had that, I started that group back. Yeah, I see but that. But then, yeah, then I left again. <laughs> well, maybe it can be like a Facebook group or something, you know what I mean? Something where... Yeah, I, I, had one, I had one set up before that when I was out there in addiction. I still had, I don't know why, I still had one though, but I had a Facebook group. It's called Family First Never Last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I named it, I named it after... Uh, uh, Armor Chain. What was his name? Matt. Matt Armor Chain. You know, he was in there with us, and he made us up a, a poem and stuff. And uh, had a, a part of that poem was "Family First, Never Last," so it stuck with me. And I made that the name of that group. And you know, it went pretty good, man. Everybody was talking about it. It was getting out in the community and everything. But you know, I let addiction overtake me again and stopped doing it. I ain't no. It's, it's never too late to start, bro. Um, I know. Uh, thank you for coming on here and sharing your story, bro. I know for me, it was, I had to, when I did this, I had to set my pride to the side, you know, and tell it all, not just the good parts or the parts that I thought made me look good. I had to tell the parts where I looked like a piece of shit, too, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I appreciate you being vulnerable enough to show your scars for people to learn from it, you know what I mean? Because... One of the mottos of this show is that people with wounds listen to people with scars. You know what I mean? So I appreciate yeah. it, bro. Thank you. Yeah. Anytime.